I'm Donald Wayne, and this is Trice Talk Minipod for Friday night, May the 7th, 2021. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Minipod. I get a little uh, Justin Timberlake, <laughs> get him calmed down here as he says, what goes around comes around. Isn't that true? Sometimes it's not fast enough, though, for some of us. Anyway, this is the, uh, it's Friday night, so we're wrapping up uh, last day of the, quote, work week for some of us. Uh, and then others of us uh, work seven days a week, so it doesn't really matter. But still, Friday night still has some kind of meaning to it. So I... um the article I'm going to be talking about tonight is a little different uh, source than I usually use here, at least that I've used uh, in weeks past. But it's from the Hillsdale College's uh, imprimis monthly publication. Uh, I get these things all the time, and um, or I, once a month, I guess it is. And there's some awfully good articles in these things, a, a lot of good uh people write articles for this particular publication uh, at Hillsdale College. Uh, sometimes they're a little bit too deep <laughs> to use on the podcast, and uh, sometimes they're a little bit too deep for me because they're so technical in some of the, the language. But I think this one tonight is going to be fairly uh, easy to follow. And um, the person who uh, wrote this article... It's Christopher Rufo, which I've mentioned a number of times uh, during some other podcasts, especially uh, when I'm talking about uh, Mike Huckabee's um, newsletter that I, I quote a lot from. And um, so Mike Huckabee uses articles from Christopher Rufo quite a bit. But uh, Rufo is he's also a contributing editor of City Journal, where he covers topics including credit critical race theory, which is what we're talking about tonight, homelessness, addiction, and crime. He's also directed four films for uh, PBS and 
he's also the founder and director of Battlefront, which is a public policy research center. So that's why you probably hear a lot uh, about him when I'm doing stuff from uh, Mike Huckabee. The article that I'm going over tonight is entitled Critical Race Theory, What It Is and How to Fight It. Um, and if you've noticed, if you listen to uh, the regular Trice Talk series that are, that are the live versions, you'll probably remember that... Um, we that I talk about critical race theory a lot, especially when we're talking about what's wrong with public education in a lot of our school systems across the country. And critical race theory is something that a lot of school systems have tried to creep into their criteria uh, to force down our, our kids' throats uh, instead of focusing on those things that can actually help them in the workplace or, or get a, a, a good job when they finally get out of school. So um, when I saw this article, I said, well, that's, you know, since I talk about critical race theory a lot and really no one that I've been using articles from has really addressed it to the extent that Christopher Rufo has so probably I'm going to run a little over on this tonight, but we'll see if I can get this all in in uh, my typical 30-minute fashion. Uh, let me get my, um, my little background stuff going here uh, just, just for effect. It's about as much of an effect I can give this at this time till I can find the source of different music. Uh, this article is actually adapted from a lecture that uh, he delivered at Hillsdale College back in March of this year. So uh, I'm assuming this is excerpts from that and not the entire uh, lecture. He starts out by saying, Critical race theory is fast becoming America's new institutional orthodoxy, yet most Americans have never heard of it. And those who have, many don't understand it. It's time for this to change. We need to know what it is so we can know how to fight it. In explaining critical race theory, it helps to begin with a brief history of Marxism. Originally, the Marxist left built its political program on the theory of class conflict. Marx believed that the primary characteristics of industrial societies was the imbalance of power between capitalists and workers. The solution to that imbalance according to Marx, was revolution. The workers would eventually gain consciousness of their plight, seize the means of production, overthrow the capitalist class, and usher in a new socialist society. During the 20th century, a number of regimes underwent Marxist-style revolutions, and each ended in disaster. Socialist governments in the Soviet Union, China, Cambodia, Cuba, and elsewhere racked up a body count of nearly 100 million of their own people. They are remembered for their gulags, show trials, executions, and mass starvations. In practice, Marx's ideas unleashed man's darkest brutalities. 
By the mid-1960s, Marxist intellectuals in the West had begun to acknowledge these failures. They recoiled at revelations of Soviet atrocities and came to realize that workers' revolutions would never occur in Western Europe or the United States, where there were large middle classes and rapidly improving standards of living. Americans in particular had never developed a sense of class consciousness or class divisions. Most Americans believed in the American dream, the idea that they could transcend their origins through education, hard work, and good citizenship. But rather than abandon their leftist political project, Marxist scholars in the West simply adapted their revolutionary theory to the social and racial unrest of the 1960s. Abandoning Marx's economic dialect of capitalist and workers, they substituted race for class and sought to create a revolutionary coalition of the dispossessed based on racial and ethnic categories. Fortunately, the early proponents of this revolutionary coalition in the U.S. lost out in the 1960s to the civil rights movement which sought instead the fulfillment of the American promise of freedom and equality under the law. Americans preferred the idea of improving their country to that of overthrowing it. The vision of Martin Luther King Jr., President Johnson's pursuit of the great society and the restoration of law and order promised by President Nixon in his 1968 campaign defined the post-1960s American political consensus. But the radical left has proved resilient and enduring, which is where critical race theory comes in today. What it is. Critical race theory is an academic discipline formulated in the 1990s, built on the intellectual framework of identity-based Marxism relegated for many years to universities and obscure academic journals over the past decade it has increasingly become the default ideology in our public institutions it has been injected into government agencies public school systems teacher training programs and corporate human resource departments in the form of diversity training programs human resources models public policy frameworks, and school curricula. There are a series of euphemisms deployed by supporters to describe critical race theory, including equity, social justice, diversity and inclusion, and culturally responsive teaching. Critical race theorists, masters of language construction, realize that neo-Marxism would be a hard sell. Equity, on the other hand, sounds non-threatening and is easily confused with the American principle of equality. But the distinction is vast and important. Indeed, equality, the principle proclaimed in the Declaration of Independence, defended in the Civil War and codified into law with the 14th and 15th Amendments, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and the Voting Rights Acts of 1965 is explicitly rejected by critical race theorists. To them, equality represents mere non-discrimination. 
and provides camouflage for white supremacy, patriarchy, and oppression. In contrast to equality, equity as defined and promoted by critical race theorists is little more than reformulated Marxism. In the name of equity, UCLA law professor and critical race theorist Cheryl Harris has proposed suspending private property rights, seizing land and wealth and redistributing them along racial lines. Critical race guru Ibram X. Kendi, who directs the Center for Anti-Racist Research at Boston University, has proposed the creation of a federal department of anti-racism. This department would be independent of, in other words, unaccountable to, the elected branches of government, and would have the power to nullify, veto, or abolish any law at any level of government and curtail the speech of political leaders and others who are deemed insufficiently anti-racist. One practical result of the creation of such a department would be the overthrow of capitalism, since according to Kendi, in order to truly be anti-racist, you also have to be truly anti-capitalist. In other words, identity is the means and Marxism is the end. An equity-based form of government would mean the end not only of private property, but also of individual rights. Equality under the law, federalism, and freedom of speech, these would be replaced by race-based redistribution of wealth, group-based rights, active discrimination, and omnipotent bureaucratic authority. Historically, the accusation of anti-Americanism has been overused, but in this case, it's not a matter of interpretation. Critical race theory prescribes a revolutionary program that would overturn the principles of the Declaration and destroy the remaining structure of the Constitution. How it works. What does critical race theory look like in practice? Last year, I authorized a series of reports focused on critical race theory in the federal government. The FBI was holding workshops on intersectional theory. The Department of Homeland Security was telling white employees that they were committing micro inequities and had to be socialized into oppressor roles. The Treasury Secretary uh, the, I'm sorry, the Treasury Department held a training session telling staff members that virtually all white people contributed to racism and that they must convert everyone in the federal government to the ideology of anti-racism. And the Sandia National Laboratories, which designs America's nuclear arsenal, sent white male executives to a three-day re-education camp where they were told that white male culture was analogous to the KKK, white supremacists, and mass killings. The executives were then forced to renounce their white male privilege and write letters of apology to fictitious women and people of color. This year, I produced another series of reports focused on critical race theory in education. 
in Cupertino, California, an elementary school forced first graders to deconstruct their racial and sexual identities and rank themselves according to their power and privilege. In Springfield, Missouri, middle school forced teachers to locate themselves on an oppression matrix based on the idea that straight, white, English-speaking Christian males are members of the oppressor class and must atone for their privilege and convert white supremacy, covert white supremacy, I'm sorry. In Philadelphia, an elementary school forced fifth graders to celebrate black communism and simulate a black power rally to free 1960s radical Angela Davis from prison where she had once been held on charges of murder. And in Seattle, a school district told white teachers that they are guilty of spirit murder against black children and must bankrupt their privilege in acknowledgement of their thieved inheritance. I'm just one investigative journalist, but I've developed a database of more than 1,000 of these stories. When I say that critical race theory is becoming the operating ideology of our public institutions, it is not an exaggeration. From the universities to bureaucracies to K-12 school systems, critical race theory has permeated the collective intelligence and decision-making process of American government with no signs of slowing down. This is a revolutionary change. When originally established, these government institutions were presented as neutral, technocratic, and oriented towards broadly held perceptions of the public good. Today, under the increasing sway of critical race theory and related ideologies, they are being turned against the American people. This isn't limited to the per uh, permanent bureaucracy in Washington, D.C., but is true as well of institutions in the states, even in red states, and it is spreading to county public health departments, small Midwestern school districts, and more. This ideology will not stop until it has devoured all of our institutions. Feudal resistance. Thus far, attempts to halt the encroachment of critical race theory have been ineffective. There are a number of reasons for this. First, too many Americans had developed an acute fear of speaking up about social and political issues, especially those involving race. According to a recent Gallup poll, 77% of conservatives are afraid to share their political beliefs publicly worried about getting mobbed on social media, fired from their jobs, or worse, they remain quiet, largely ceding to public debate to those punish, uh, pushing these anti-American ideologies. Consequently, the institutions themselves become monocultures, dogmatic, suspicious, and hostile to a diversity of opinion. Conservatives in both the federal government and the public school systems have told me that their equity and inclusion departments serve as political offices, searching for and stamping out any dissident from the official orthodoxy. Second, 
critical race theorists have constructed their argument like a mousetrap. Disagreement with their program becomes irrefutable evidence of a dissenter's white fragility, unconscious bias, or internalized white supremacy. I've seen this projection of false consciousness on their opponents play out dozens of times in my reporting. Diversity trainers will make an outrageous claim such as all whites are intrinsically oppressors or white teachers are guilty of spirit murdering black children. And then when confronted with disagreement, they adopt a patronizing tone and explain that participants who feel defensiveness or anger are reacting out of guilt and shame. Dissenters are instructed to remain silent lean into the discomfort and accept their complicity in white supremacy. Third, Americans across the political spectrum have failed to separate the, pr the premise of critical race theory from its conclusion. Its premise that American history includes slavery and other injustices and that we should examine and learn from that history is undeniable. But its revolutionary conclusion that America was founded on and defined by racism and that our founding principles, our constitution, and our way of life should be overthrown does not rightfully, much less necessarily, follow. Fourth and finally, the writers and activists who have had the courage to speak out against critical race theory have tended to address it on the theoretical level, pointing out the theory's logical contradictions and dishonest account of history. These criticisms are worthy and good, but they move the debate into the academic realm, which is friendly terrain for proponents of critical race theory. They fail to force defenders on of this revolutionary ideology to defend the practical consequences of their ideals in the realm of politics. Political engagement. No longer simply an academic matter, critical race theory has become a tool of political power. To borrow a phrase from the Marxist theoretician Antonio Gramsci, it is fast achieving cultural hegemony in America's public institutions. More and more it is driving the vast machinery of the state and society. If we want to succeed in oppressing it, we must address it politically at every level. Critical race theorists must be confronted with and forced to speak to the facts. Do they support public schools separating first graders into groups? of oppressors and oppressed? Do they support mandatory curricula teaching that all white people play part in perpetuating systematic racism? Do they support public schools instructing white parents to become white traitors and advocate for white abolition? Do they want those who work in government to be required to undergo this kind of re-education? How about managers and workers in corporate America? How about the men and women in our military? How about every one of us? 
There are three parts to a successful strategy to defeat the forces of critical race theory. Governmental action, grassroots mobilization, and an appeal to principle. We already see examples of governmental action. Last year, one of my reports led President Trump to issue an executive order banning critical race theory-based training programs in the federal government. President Biden rescinded this order on his first day in office, but it provides a model for governors and municipal leaders to follow. This year, several state legislators have introduced bills to achieve the same goal preventing public institutions from conducting programs that stereotype, scapegoat, or demean people on the basis of race. And I have organized a coalition of attorneys to file lawsuits against schools and government agencies that impose critical race theory-based programs on grounds of the First Amendment, which protects citizens from compelled speech. The 14th Amendment, which provides equal protection under the law, and the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which prohibits public institutions from discriminating on the basis of race. On the grassroots level, a multiracial and bipartisan coalition is emerging to do battle against critical race theory. Parents are mobilizing against racially divisive curricula in public schools, and employees are increasingly speaking out against Orwellian re-education in the workplace. When they see what is happening, Americans are naturally outraged that critical race theory promotes three ideas. Race, essentialism, collective guilt, and neo-segregation which violate the basic principles of equality and justice. Anecdotally, many Chinese Americans have told me that having survived the cultural revolution in their former country, they refuse to let the same thing happen here. In terms of principles, we need to employ our own moral language rather than allow ourselves to be confined to the categories of critical race theory. For example, we often find ourselves debating diversity Diversity, as most of us understand it, is generally good, all things being equal. But it is of secondary value. We should be talking about and aiming at excellence, a common standard that challenges people of all backgrounds to achieve their potential. On the scale of desirable ends, excellent beats, excellence beats diversity every time. Similarly, in addition to pointing out the dishonesty of the historical narrative on which critical race theory is predicated, we must promote the true story of America. A story that is honest about injustices in American history, but that places them in the context of our nation's high ideals and the progress we have made towards realizing them. Genuine American history is rich with stories of achievements, and sacrifices that will move the hearts of Americans, in stark contrast to the grim and pessimistic narrative pressed by cult, uh, critical race theorists. Above all, we must have courage, the fundamental virtue required in our time, courage to stand and speak the truth, courage to withstand epithets 
Courage to face the mob. Courage to shrug off the scorn of the elites. When enough of us overcome the fear that currently prevents so many from speaking out, the hold of critical race theory will begin to slip. And courage begets courage. It's easy to step, stop a lone dissenter. It's much harder to stop 10, 20, 100, 1,000, 1 million or more who stand up together for the principles of America. Truth and justice are on our side. If we can muster the courage, we will win. I think that pretty su- that pretty well sums up what needs to be done by those of us who feel like critical race theory is is uh, destroying our country, basically. And and here's here's the point that I've made several times during uh, our regular Trice Talk Live shows. We as if if you're a a parent, if you have a child, or even if you're a grandparent, you know, your your children have grown up, now you have grandkids. We as parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles have a right to speak out against what they're doing to our children in this country. And as I talked about the other day and and, and President Biden's uh uh, proposal to add four more years of public education to, um, you know, to the uh, tax burden of the American people, and two of those years would be in starting school um, at three years old, and then and then uh, topping it off with two two years of free education in a community college, and and you have to ask yourself. You know, they're going to say, well, you know, left uh, liberals are going to say this is for the purpose of making sure they get a good education. But then you stop and you see these stories of the critical race theory that they're trying to promote in all these public schools. And you have to tell yourself, and if you listen to anybody, uh, those kids who start learning earlier in life uh, tend to do better in school. And these people, uh, these Marxists, if you will, or, or these socialists, if you will, whatever you want to call them, that are pushing all of these things on, on the American scene, they realize it. They're smart enough to know, hey, if we can start getting these kids at three years old and start teaching them all of these things that, that we talked about in this article, uh, you can't help but have you know, little Marxists grow up or little socialists grow up and say, yeah, down with this system that we have here. We need to do this where everybody is supposedly equal. Yeah. Well, but as the article said, these these people who push these ideals uh, obviously didn't learn anything from history or they really don't care about history. You know, where it failed in these other countries, those countries had all kinds of disparities anyway. Um, uh, wealth issues and, and, and poverty and so forth, and which there's a fair amount in this country as well. 
there's also a lot of resources that these people would love to get control of, get their hands on, and then they'll decide who gets what. They'll decide who gets to do what. They'll decide who's important and who's not. And there will not be any discussion about it. Don't don't take it for granted that this is going to be freedom for everybody and they're going to give all this stuff and you'll you'll live carefree free lives. Before you start believing that myth, you need to read history. So I, I hope you enjoyed this article tonight. Um, it it kind of helps with when I talk about critical race theory so much. And, you know, I'm going to continue talking about it every time something new comes up that and and just to make make you understand well might not make you understand my goal is just merely to prevent uh, present information to you and then you make up your mind whether or not you agree with uh, my me or what I say or the article itself so I'm not trying to convince you that this is bad I'm just trying to get you to think about it and make up your own mind and decide if that's the way you want this country to go. If you have children of your own or grandchildren of your own, is this what is this the kind of life you want for them as they grow into adulthood? Is this the kind of country we're going to leave for them? An awful lot of people died for the freedoms that we do have in this country, even with all of the things that we've done wrong or mishandled. If you think about it, a lot of that is due to government. All right. So that's it for critical race theory tonight. Um, I'll be back tomorrow night, Saturday night, with another mini pod. And I'll try not to talk about critical race theory tomorrow night. I think I got another subject on the uh, table here that I'll be doing. Um, I hope everybody has a great Saturday. And remember, no one can define you but you. Stay safe, everybody. Tell me, is it a name?
it's ready to go and down. Is this how we say goodbye? Should have known better when you came around that you were going to make me cry. It's breaking my heart to watch you turn around. Because I know that you're living a lie. That's okay, baby, because the time you will find goes around, 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 goes around,